Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I am so happy you are here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about all things to do with motherhood and parenting and explore the joys and the challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to inspire us all on our parenting adventures and to support parents to raise their children with more awareness, connection and love. Welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today, I am so delighted to be talking to the wonderful Naomi Aldort. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. I know that it's quite late for you in your time zone, so I'm very, very grateful for you making time to come and talk to us today. Thank you for having me. A nice meeting you. <laughs> So Naomi Oldort is the author of Raising Our Children, Raising Ourselves that has now been published in 20 different languages. She guides parents in phone and Skype sessions and through workshops internationally. Her guidance is not about gentle ways to control a child, but about how to have peace without having to control. It is about a way of being and of understanding children so that they can do their best, not because they fear us or seek our approval, but because they want to of their own free will. Naomi Aldort brings peace and clarity to difficult situations, as well as to ordinary parenting issues, including marriage, pregnancy, birth, baby care, toddlers, children, teens, adult children and relatives. She also guides family about diet and lifestyle that promote emotional and physical well-being and impact on a child's behavior. From attachment parenting to optimal learning, siblings, aggression, sleep, tantrums, teens, marriage, educational choices, and more, Naomi works holistically towards a peaceful and powerful parent-child relationship. Her SALV communication formula has been praised as providing the best of the work of Byron Katie and nonviolent communication combined. And more. So welcome to the podcast, Naomi. As I said, I'm so grateful that you're here. Thank you for having me. So your book, Raising Your, Our Children, Raising Ourselves, Transforming Parent-Child Relationships from Reaction and Struggle to Freedom, Power and Joy, was such a powerfully transformative book for me. And of course, you wrote it a very long time ago, so I'm sure there's lots in it that has, has changed over the years. But perhaps if we could just start off by, by just going through and talking um, through some of the main key themes in the book. Are you happy to do that? Uh, sure. <laughs> that, that would take two hours. I of think. course. <laughs> we'll, we'll be as, as brief as we can be for now. But yes. Um, yeah. So yeah. The, the book, uh, you talk about it being a guide for how to be the unconditionally loving parent that we want to be. And I, I just think that is such a powerful statement because that's that's really what we're all trying to do aren't we but what you're focusing on is is how to support parents to get their own emotional reactions and conditioning out of the way so that our child is free to be themselves yes. um and is not held back as you say by our past by our anxiety about the future or by our concern about what others may have to say about our parenting now yeah um what what led you to to want to create this kind of support for parents that's so vitally needed? 
nothing. Parents asked for it. What happened is I started writing articles just in response to reality, to parents asking, to being engaged with parents and noticing what's needed. And parents started calling and asking for advice. So uh, initially, I gave advice by phone. That was before computers. Uh, and I gave advice by phone um, for free. You know, people called. And, and then one day, this woman told me, you know, I've been calling you every week for 10 weeks now. I think you should charge. So that's how I started charging for the work. And, and then I was asked to public speak because one of my main articles about why not to praise, which connects to this seeking approval, what was, will relative uh, want of me. Um, then I started public speaking as well. And then the book kind of came as a result of it, like, well, you know. So you talk a lot in, in the first chapter of the book about um, the need for us to be empathically listening to our children so that they can express how they feel, so that we validate their feelings and we make it safe for them to just express whatever it is in their heart um, so that they feel that it's okay for them to show up and be their authentic selves and that we will love them however they're behaving and whatever they're telling us. And you describe this beautiful formula, which is called SALVE rather nicely. The acronym is SALVE, um, to help us that we can use when we're responding with compassion um, and validation to our children. Are you willing to talk through that process a bit for us and explain it more? Absolutely. So SALVE, the, the S is the most important part. That's the work on yourself. It's self-talk, self-examination, self-inquiry. It's taking time, sometimes just a few seconds, because things happen fast with children or with life. Um, so sometimes it's a few seconds just to be aware of yourself and find where your own baggage, your triggers, your past, your reaction, what you want, what you are annoyed by is blocking you from being present to your child and seeing what's going on for them. So in a lot of sessions that I give, uh, when people call via Zoom uh, for sessions or come here, I have family intensive, so people come here from all over the world, by the way. Um, and and um, we work together. So the main thing that we see again and again is that we all understand and we all want to do the good stuff. But what gets in the way is, is this voice inside, which turns us actually away from the child. Almost every story a parent tells me, the summary of it is, so that's about you. What was your child needing then? And it turns out the parent wasn't aware of it. And as I work with them, as they question we do the, the thoughts, the questioning. So that can be part of the S when you have more time mm. to do the whole work of Byron Katie type thing, mm. which I do with parents in sessions and get deep. Uh, but when you realize that, you realize, you know, I'm being annoyed. So that's the S still. I'm being annoyed. Uh, and then, well, you know, in the quiet of being with yourself, in the fast way, just in the moment, you want to just 
shift your attention, and that's the A, to the child. Just notice, oh, I'm being about myself. Because in the moment, you know, a child is crying, they want ice cream, their brother hit them, they want this toy, whatever is going on. It's very fast with children and they want <laughs> you, they want you to respond quickly. So you don't have to time. You can do that later. You can write it down for yourself. I had the thought my child should listen to me. I had the thought my child shouldn't hit his brother. And I'm not saying they should hit, but first you need to understand why they need to hit. You need to be about them and not about you. So the, the S allows you to re, to see your little movie about what you want to do. You want to yell at them. You can imagine that. You want to, uh, sometimes even parents tell me they want to hurt the child or they want to go away and slam the door or they want to just you know, do things that they don't really want to do. So you can kind of play that movie and notice, is that what I really want to do? And and what's going on for my child. So when we do the work completely in sessions, it's very easy then to see what's going on for the child because we actually do the full inquiry and the emotion is not suppressed or put aside, but actually fully expressed and fully acknowledged. And then, so your child should listen to you in that moment, is that true? And you realize, well, no, he was really busy doing this and that. And I interrupted him and I was inappropriate uh, or whatever, whatever the situation is. Or he's very upset with his brother because he keeps ruining everything that he's doing. Uh, the little one-year-old or two-years-old is ruining for the five-years-old. So all of a sudden, you see the point of view of the child. So that's the A, you put the attention on the child and then the L is listen. So now that you put attention on the child, you ask a question of interest to see why your child must do what he's doing. Because all of us are doing what we must do, you know, but when you do what you must do, which is react from a trigger, you're hurting your child. This is the time to be the adult where you don't do that reaction because you want to be about the child and not about you. So the listen can be the words, I call it Naomi's magic words. You know, the in America, the magic words, as people recognize it, is uh, say, please say, thank you. What's the magic word? Yes, yeah, yeah, too. <laughs> You know, somebody gives the child a gift and you look at the child, it's the magic words. Nothing that I would ever teach. Very patronizing and controlling. But there are wonderful magic words that work with children, adults, neighbors, enemies, anybody. Tell me more about it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Naomi Aldert magic words. I've been talking about it now for quite a few years public speaking and everywhere all over the world so tell me more about it and then ask more when they do tell you when they do trust you and initially if you didn't ever do that before they may not trust you and just say nothing or or not know even what they feel but then you ask a more specific question and if they do answer based on the their answer 
you say more. It's like you ask more. Like, let's say a child tells you, I hate you. Instead of being about you in that moment, oh, no, he hates me. I'm not loved. Stay about the child. Tell me more. What do you hate the most? Mm. Give me an example of something that I did that you hated the absolute most. And just listen. This isn't about you. Even though the story the child is telling includes you, it's the child's story, not yours. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's their point of view. It's what happened to them. You may have been a player in that little movie, that scene or episode, but they're telling you what's going on for them. And it's always true for them. So never, and that's another thing, never be defensive. Don't ever tell them, no, that's not what happened. That's denial of their reality. For them, that's what happened. And wait till they grow up. Because grown-ups, and I'm sure you told your parents some horrible episodes with uh, from your childhood, that they look at you and say, well, I don't remember anything like that. Why don't they remember? For them, it was not a dramatic episode. For you, it was. It's the same for your children. Mm. Yeah. You, may, you may think that you said something very gently or that we spoke about it before and you agreed not to go to the park today or whatever. But what went on for them was very different. Mm. And they don't always are aware enough to communicate in a way that you will actually know what's happening for them. So ask and ask. So that's the listen. The V is validate. So when you listen, you validate. Very careful with the validate. What I learned in the last 30 years working and doing workshops and and, and private counseling and everything, people can do the validation with such drama and adding so much emotions that now the child is convinced they're feeling something they didn't even feel before. Or they're validating very real, but it's too uh, embarrassing for the child. You're exposing them. So what I say in the book and what I still say, validate with facts and not so much with emotions. So a lot of parents go to the, oh, you must be so upset. You really wanted that teddy bear and the other boy got it first or whatever. And the, the must you so upset is it's insulting for a lot of kids, which is why they then just don't say that. You know, a lot of kids would be very angry when you do that. But if you do the validation in a way that touches their heart, then it's not too much. You really want that that teddy bear is enough. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, your child, some children, you know, I have three of them. One of them, I couldn't say anything. And that's an option. Just be with them, your presence. Yeah. Just saying, I understand. Sometimes that's too much, okay? But I had this one child who, if you validated their feeling, his feeling, even without emotional words, he would scream at the top of his lungs, don't say anything. Mm. That's to be respected. Mm. Your presence says everything. So 
with some children, no more than silence or I understand how you feel, do you want a hug? And if you know your child doesn't take hugs when upset, don't offer a hug because that will get them angry. But if you do the right thing on the validation and just create a connection, a feeling the child knows that you are on their side and that you understand them, then the result may be more crying, more tantrum. Very important to know because sometimes parents say it doesn't work. They cry even more. (laughs) I say, no, 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 that works. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, they need to cry. That's the expression that's chemically and physically will give them the release so that there is no trauma left for the, you know, for the therapist when they're 30 years old. They're doing it now. So by validating, you being a good therapist, you're allowing for the emotions to come out and really uh, be expressed in a way that releases them. Um, and then the E is empower. And the empower is the hardest to explain, but it often is more about what not to do than about what to do. It's don't express pity, don't compensate. A lot of parents say, okay, you couldn't have this teddy bear, I'll go buy you ice cream, (laughs) right? It still takes the tears away, the therapy away, and it teaches the child that they have no emotional strength and resilience to not always get what they want. Yeah, it was the other kid's toy and they're going home and they, you know, you played with it together. Now the guy took, the little boy took the the teddy bear and left. And yeah, you can cry rather than be compensated and shove your feelings, ending up as an adult overeating or eating every time you're upset, uh, you know, and all those results that we know about in ourselves. So empower can be about not saying anything, not compensating, not doing what disempowers. And it can be, depending on the conversation, what the child tells you when you listen, you may say something that's inspiring or that gives the child a feeling, hmm, I was capable here, I've handled something. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, in the case of that I just invented of the teddy bear, yeah, it's sometimes hard to say goodbye to a toy and to a friend. And here we are, you know, and, and the child may be inspired to say, yeah, I, I can I can say goodbye and I'll see him again tomorrow. Just to give you an example of what a parent did that is disempowering, I think that will help to understand it. So this mother comes home, I mean, parents come home after children were with a babysitter, uh, the parents went out and um, and she told me when she came back, they said goodbye to the babysitter. They were with the kids. And all of a sudden, the four years old daughter is crying, having a horrible tantrum. Why? Because her new doll, she gave it, she loaned it to the babysitter. She didn't mean that the babysitter will actually take it with her. But you know how children are. Sometimes, you know, the babysitter acted very nice with probably, gee, what a beautiful, nice new doll you have. Oh, you want to have it? Have it. 
the babysitter actually drove away with it. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about the babysitter not understanding children, but this is not the point of this story. In this story, what uh, the mistake the mother made is she went, she got into her car at 11 p.m. and drove 15 minutes each way to get the doll. Mm-hmm. And in the session, we explained why that's disempowering. I mean, she did validate and did all that, but she also went and got the doll back. So she asked me what you do. So the empowering thing will be to say, I know you wanted it tonight and we'll get it back tomorrow. Do you think you can wait till tomorrow? Or and say, no, no, maybe you know your child. So maybe don't ask such a question, <laughs> but just say, yeah, you know, waiting is sometimes difficult. Yeah. And uh, but you're giving them the sense that you know they can do it by not drowning with their feelings. So it's not exactly the word empathy which you used before is not exactly what I teach because it's it's more compassion. Because in empathy, we have the assumption we're feeling what the child is feeling, but that I call drowning with the child's emotions. And what the child is needing is you staying on the shoreline if they're drowning and so that they can climb out and somebody is a rock, somebody can be leaned on. So they need to see that you are not caught in their emotions, that you are not seeing a problem. Mm. You don't deny the, the emotions they have, but you don't join them and which is again with the emotional words oh you're so this is so difficult to wait for your doll or whatever all the way to do I understand it's really oh what a bummer you know and parents overdo that and it gets the child even more and more upset instead of empowered mm-hmm. so when the validation when the child finished crying as much as they need and are done on their own that's when you can, or the next morning in a case like that, it's like, look, here we are. And we're going to get the doll in the afternoon and look how powerful you are. Give them the sense of the value of emotional resilience Mm -hmm. rather than get panicky as a parent to get them whatever they want. Yeah, yeah. So that was the cell formula in the shortest, long way. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for explaining that. I mean, I think what's so powerful about this formula is that, first of all, it teaches us how to respond to our children rather than to react to them. And that in doing so, it, it creates connection rather than disconnection, which is what happens when we react. Um, it allows our children to really express whatever is going on for them in the moment and take as long as they need to to do that and that we are there and listening. And, and as you say, often less is more in that process in terms of what we're actually saying. And then it's really encouraging us to, to trust our children and to let them know that we trust them to be able to work things out for themselves with our support yeah. there, which is such a powerful thing for them to deeply know as they become older children and then adults. I mean, what a what a different way of, of experiencing life. So it's so powerful. Not as victims. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. We have a culture of victims, and a lot of a lot of parents are themselves working on not being victims. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, 
you talk a lot in the book as well about how once children um, are able to express their feelings, they they regain their their freedom and they regain their balance. And it's so powerful to watch that, isn't it? After a good old tantrum or a good old cry with our loving presence, um, our children are, are back to balance. And, and what seemed like a catastrophe five minutes ago or 10 minutes ago is suddenly actually something that's that's really fine. And that teaches such resilience, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And they're so fast because they don't have layers and layers of years and years that is being triggered like a, you know, a, a line of, of uh, cards. Mm-hmm. So if we do the good job all along from the beginning, starting with babies, um, allowing them to cry in our arms, uh, not putting them away to cry by themselves, but being listeners, um, and allowing for things to not always go their way, not causing it, not being the obstacle, but but allowing life to unfold, then actually they will keep recovering very fast from things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like and how fast recovery from an upset of a child? It's like a miracle. Yeah. One of my children once told me that was then, two minutes later. <laughs> you know, and I said, but you didn't want it was some big tantrum about that it shouldn't be dad making this the lunch or the food, but me for him. He wanted a sandwich or something. And I was breastfeeding his younger brother, so I wasn't available. And he was like all over the place about it. And then he said to me to tell dad to do it. And I said, are you sure? I mean, you wanted me to do it and I'm willing to. He said, no, that was then. Yep. <laughs> you know, so now I want daddy to do it. Yeah. That's how quick children are. And we need to allow that. It's really about one of my articles about praise that was in Mothering Magazine in 1994. Uh, it's called Getting Out of the Way. and. I still love the title of this article, my own title, because it's it's so true about so much of parenting. Mm. We're too much in the way. We become the obstacle, the one that say, no, stop, don't. And even like one example I give to parents, they often intervene and the culture expects that. When something goes on in public with other children or people, and they think, you know, you go to a restaurant and your child goes, my child, my firstborn used to go at age three, from between two and three, he would go from table to table like a politician and talk to people. (laughs) And most people would tell me, well, or, or they would struggle to get the child out of the swimming pool because they said they're closing. And I said, let the let the guard tell them. You know, they always think they need to do it. Um, so in the case of a restaurant, you know, they think the child is disturbing other people. I say, well, let those people tell them. But they're shy and they want. So that's their problem. See, when you are constantly getting, your child doesn't understand that those children really didn't want him there. So when you come and say to your child, no, no, come on, they're having dinner, don't disturb, and you pull them, you're the enemy. 
And then no wonder that they're all angry at you. And by the time they're teenagers, you know, it's like everything against. But even little children, I see children hitting their parents. And we work together on, well, let's find out why. Well, you show up as the obstruction. So much of what parents do, especially when there are other people, is they want, it's seeking approval. They want the other people to see them fitting the other people's picture, that they know the other people expect them to intervene if their child is disturbing the other parent child. Mm. And I always tell them, let the event happen. I'm not saying that you never get to intervene. Even then you do it in a, you know, I teach specific ways to make it effective and respectful. But getting out of the way and letting children encounter reality as long as it's safe um, is a is a good one to mm. take. yeah and I think it's so powerful as well that by going through this type of process with our children we get freed up from that sense that we have to be protecting our children from all the inevitable disappointments and and difficult experiences that they're going to have in their lives or that we have to be rushing around placating and putting out fires actually we don't need to do any of that stuff in fact we need to do exactly the opposite which is not to do any of that stuff and instead just to be there by our child's side to listen and to support them when they need it but we don't have have to be killing ourselves rushing around trying to stop anyone ever feeling any kind of disappointment or upset not only that not only you know it's actually harmful because how will they be ready for life you know life is full of disappointments and and things not going our way i mean who has a life that turned out exactly the way they planned it every you know that doesn't happen that that's not how it works so then we're surprised that today's teenagers and young adults are have a lot of depression and anxiety they have such expectation because we didn't let them experience from the beginning disappointments yeah yeah you know that life isn't quite going their way yep yep that things are difficult and sometimes painful and that we stay like the rock. We don't drown with them, like I said before. Yeah. We're like, understand, we listen, we uh, connect. And we give the unspoken message that, yeah, this is part of life. And yes. you're capable of doing it and yes. going through it. Yeah, I love that last bit. I think that's what's so important, isn't it? That you, we know that you are capable and that we are by your side to help you. I think yes. that's just such a beautiful message to give a child to to teach them to be, to know, yeah, to trust themselves. We, yeah, because if, if, if all through life we sometimes go through dark tunnels, and what a child needs is for us to go to, through the tunnel with them. Yeah, yeah, staying completely unhurt by the darkness of the tunnel. It's their darkness, but you're with them. Yeah, yeah, that's and, a lovely uh, image. Yeah, mm. yeah rather than pluck them out of every dark tunnel that shows up. Yeah. Yes. And yeah, pluck them out from the street or <laughs> jumping into water or <laughs> wanting to caress a poisonous snake. There's plenty of opportunities where you do have to pluck them, no question. But when it's safe and life itself, disappointment with a friend, I want to give you another example about that because it's really important. Um a child comes out of a playroom or out of playing with kids and say they won't play with me. 
the usual response, oh, let's go talk to them. Let's fix it, right? And my parents go to the other kids, come on, be inclusive, be nice. Everybody's included. What is this child learning is, again, I'm not capable of handling what occurs in life, right? And people say, so what do you say to the child? Well, I'll say the simplest thing is, uh, depending on how upset they are, if they look very upset, do you want to tell me more about it? Tell me more. And then when they're done, what would you like to do instead? So you're embracing reality. There is empowerment. You are telling them without saying it in words, you can handle it. Because I'm responding in the way that I'm saying, I'm responding. I'm not reacting to what happened there. I'm responding. You are now alone without a friend to play with. I can offer. Would you like me to play with you? Would you like me to read you a book, depending on the age and who is the child? Is it your child? Is it the friends or family child? Does he want to go back home? Uh, you call the mother to pick him up or, you know, whatever the situation is, you are responding to what would you like to do now? Mm. with the reality that they won't play with you rather than let's save the situation and get you back mm. <laughs> to that group that doesn't want you. Yeah, absolutely. And what, what's so powerful as well is time and time again, I've seen that by doing that, our children usually come up with the solutions themselves. We don't absolutely. even have to, we don't even have to provide them with, with options. They, we just are there and they, you know, usually the moments over, like you say, your son saying that was then, yeah yes. yeah and they can find their own way out often yeah. yeah um what about when we get it wrong Naomi you talk about rewind when we're falling back into our old patterns and yes. responding um and reacting to our children and their behavior which we all inevitably do sometimes regardless of how far down this process we are how do you support yes. parents with that inevitable challenge so first of all I say at the entry of every lecture I ever give, whether it's 1,000 people or 50 people, I say, how many of you had perfect parents? Nobody raises their hand. How many of you think you turned out perfect? Nobody raised their hand. And then I say, so how come you are here at the workshop with this set of mindset that you'll be the first parent who would raise this perfect child who has no issues? And everybody laughs and we start from this new ground of understanding that, no, you'll never master this. This is a process, not an arrival, nothing final. And your child will grow with an imperfect parent. And please let them know that you're struggling and be open and vulnerable. And that would be their grist for the mill. So that's the first thing I like to say, so that the guilt and the regret is release. Like, it's all right. You don't have to be perfect. Your child needs to learn to live with imperfect variety of characters, right? Including so themselves. More, including themselves, exactly. Um, but in terms of you just did something and you regret it, that's when I teach the rewind. Uh, so I, in general, I love in family life, do a lot of theater. And a lot of what I teach in private sessions and in workshops is uh, healing games that I invent on the spot for the family for the specific situation. I have accumulation of them, a lot of, you know, games that bring a lot of laughter and a lot of healing. Um, 
So one of the techniques of this kind, you did something and it's, uh oh, I'm stumbling and I'm, I'm yelling at my child and I don't want to do that. You declare, rewind, let's do this scene again. Children just love that. So where were you? You were here with your Legos and your sister was here before you got over there. So you're here with the Legos and I was in the kitchen or I was in the garden and, you know, and you describe what happened. You get everybody to the original position and whatever you did wrong, whatever you, you came in and said, what a mess, who did that or something. And this time you say, wow, so much color or whatever it is, uh, or just go and give them a kiss, not even relate to the mess. Um, so whatever you do, when you do the rewind, the children learn that we can regret, redo, make amends, and that there is power in admitting wrongness. There's so much learning in this particular game. That you're vulnerable, that we tell the truth, that we can expose ourselves, and that we don't have to be perfect. It's just like huge, fantastic, fantastic experience as well. Yeah, I agree. And it often takes the relationship to an even deeper level of connection when we're raw and vulnerable and authentic with our children. And we can say, I messed up and I'm sorry. And you always deserve me to be loving. And I apologize that I wasn't loving today. And they're like, oh, no, it's okay, mom. And you explain how you feel. And then you have this deepening in your understanding of each other. And it's beautiful, yeah. actually. It's it's almost always a step in the right direction, even in the moment, if it looks a bit ugly. <laughs> Absolutely. And what I teach now that's not in the book, by the way, is I actually teach parents how to um, give children experience of connection with somebody else when they're hurt. So like you go to the playground and you see a three years old who is crying and, you know, it's like, oh, he must be in pain. What do you think happened to him? We actually like to converse the parent and child. Well, it looks like he really wanted to go on the slide and they're all, all these big children, so he just can't. Ah, yeah, that would be, that could be it. You know, and the same daddy comes home and he seems, you know, irritable or just upset. Um, Sometimes I would suggest to say to a child, you know, a parent will tell me, a mother would say, you know, my husband comes home from work. He's generally kind of tight and irritable, and I don't know how to explain it to the children. I say, well, it's a great opportunity. Tell them before he comes home, daddy is on the way home. Let's see how he's feeling when he comes home. He does tend to be really tired and irritated when he comes home. What can we do to help him? So... Now you get together with the child. This is stuff I didn't teach them. This is newer stuff. Uh, I don't think with my children, I did that myself. It just came to me from working with parents. So like, what can we do? Or let's see if we can guess what they're feeling. Mm. Uh, also to teach to not interrupt. A lot of children have no sense of, you know, two people are talking and they just talk into it. So I would teach to go with the child and say, I see that they're talking. Let's see if we can guess when they're done before we say something. Mm -hmm. So you give them tools in a peaceful way, and you give them a sense of the other 
because one of the biggest problems with today's parenting, because it's so, and you know, give, 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 and fix problems all the time, even when you don't do that, life is so good for children today. They're slow to develop empathy, to develop a connection and awareness that other people have their own wants mm-hmm. and their own desires. So those kind of things of playing a guessing game, let's guess the emotion of someone else, even just a stranger or grandma when she comes in or daddy or mommy when they come home um, are some ways to, to develop that. Mm-hmm. I love that awareness that it brings. Yeah, it's just a deepening in their understanding of us all on our own journeys and how we are, how we might, and how you can gauge how people are feeling by, by watching yes. them. Yeah, that's lovely. Um, you talk a lot in the book about how our primary job really as parents is to um, give love to our children and to ensure that they are, we're giving it in a way that they are receiving so that they're actually experiencing us as loving them in the moment as often as we can um and that you know the understanding that our children are always deserving of our love and worthy of love and that our love is unconditional can you talk a little bit about that yeah um first of all it it comes back to the biggest job the most important job is to uh, work on yourself that's really the most important job yeah. Uh, so that you can give that love. Uh, but love is unconditional, and that connects to why I teach um, not to praise, not to give rewards or prizes of any kind. Um, and people have a lot of problem understanding that because the world used to punish and spank and hurt children. So we have the d- illusion that praising and rewarding is so much better, but it's just at the other side of the same yeah. coin. It's yeah. still manipulating the child, keeping them on your hook that they'll do what you want. Mm-hmm. Okay. So unconditional love is really unconditional. So it's not, I love you because you got good grades or you played beautifully in the recital or were the best at the sport game or on the dance floor it's or or even washed the dishes at home or treated your brother very nice or anything like that and anything at all it's unconditional and the unconditional love means that when the child the test of it is when the child misbehaves that's when you have to bring to it's very easy to love conditional right And you have to be careful to not accentuate that. So your child is behaving very nice. They babysitted the little one so you could go to the movies or whatever. And if you start praising them and showering with hugs, then, oh, mommy loves me if I do this for her. Or daddy loves me if I'm the best student in class. And those best students are mostly the most anxious adults ever. So we don't, it's that dependency on pleasing mother or showing that I'm good, that makes it conditional. Mm. So when the child hits their sibling, that's when they need your love. Mm. Because they hit the sibling because they're frustrated, so frustrated that they lose control. 
How do you feel if you're so frustrated that you need to raise your voice? That would be the equivalent. So when you scream or when you feel like you want to hurt someone, that's what the child is feeling when they are not developed enough to have the perfect words, communication skills. Even we are not. We're expecting sometimes seven years olds to have better skills than we do. Why doesn't he understand that mommy needs this and that? It's like, hello? Mm-hmm. <laughs> who is here to understand who and at what age? Are you always understanding? So we're learning that. So unconditional love comes. So when this child is hitting his little one-year-old brother, I love him so unconditionally that what I'm doing in that moment, other than maybe remove the baby to a safer place, is give him a hug. Mm. validate okay so it's the same cell formula in that moment okay my s want to say i want to grab him and i'm so angry he's hurting the baby when i release that and i put attention on the child i'm seeing a child so jealous and so desperate that he needs to hurt his brother because he really wants to get rid of that brother it's a pain in the butt for him You know, he was the only child or he was the baby and got all the attention. And he thought this baby was just a doll (laughs) that everybody admires. But now he's noticing that he's not getting, you know, the the baby is taking his stuff and mommy tells him, be careful and don't hurt him. And you're not going to get this because you have to share it or you have to be quiet now because the baby is asleep. All these things that keep telling him, You are not anymore the one that mommy and daddy love and that you're not anymore the the most, you know, the first or the baby or the firstborn or whatever. So you take that child and you understand them. Oh, my God, he must be in such pain. So what I recommend to do if there's someone else that can be with the one-year-old is I take the child to another room and say, show me what you want to do to the baby. Mm-hmm. You know? and the show me I, I hand them a doll and I make the sound of the doll crying because they're hitting it or throwing it or throwing to the ceiling or pulling on it or whatever they're doing or one of my children wanted to throw his little brother to the garbage so we did that together <laughs> yeah. it was an imaginary he didn't put a real doll in the garbage he didn't want to do that he mm-hmm. said just yeah but he was four years old. The baby was close to one year old. And, you know, I want to throw him in the garbage. Mm. Uh, so that's unconditional. That's an example of unconditional love. Uh, and that just happens so much. I mean, every moment that you're angry at your child because they did something unacceptable to you, that unacceptableness, that's about you. Yep. Your emotions. When you put your attention on the child, now you can give unconditional love by asking yourself, hmm, what's going on for them? Mm. Mm. How much pain do they have to have or frustration that they need to heat or to grab? Or And sometimes it's just playful. So there was this, this child in a family intensive running around the house and every time he passed by his two years old sister that was sitting on the floor, he would grab a toy out of her hand and she would go, ah! 
<laughs> and I call that a power game. Mm -hmm. And I teach parents to invent and create power games so children wouldn't need to play power games on their sisters and brothers and parents, etc. So, so that's another whole chapter that I have uh, on power games. But in that moment, it can be a big emotional issue. You have to be sensitive to know which it is. And you put attention on the child. You ask yourself, is this a big deal? Or is this just really a power game that's very healing? In this case, I thought it was a power game that's very healing uh, and I don't remember if it was me or the other mother who said to the child, you like when your sister screams. And, and the child said, yeah. And then comes the, some opportunity for connection. The, uh, this was the mother, and she asked, uh, because we talked about it before, because this was happening a lot with children. Uh, so she used what we already spoke about, and she said, do you think she likes it? Okay, so there we are, teaching compassion, teaching awareness. And he just stood there and didn't say anything. But you could see that he's thinking about it and that the obvious answer was in his head mm. because he stopped, he stopped the game. Mm. Uh, but I suggested to the mother to give him a lot of other power games like creating screaming. So yeah. you create a game. You see what the child is doing, and you create a game that fits that. So in this case, I would play a game. I would take maybe a magazine I don't care about, pretend to read it. I say, I'm reading something. Just don't take away my magazine because I'm <laughs> reading it. And the child will come and grab it, and I'll scream, you know, so that he has that sense of power. Oh, no, he took my magazine away. Yeah. Anyway, that's the beginning of the power game thing needs long explanation too. So I don't want to <laughs> go too far into it right now. But it's about seeing the the goodness in our child, whatever they're doing, whatever they're saying and, and loving them. And I mean, I remember the first time my son after his baby sister was probably two and he said to me, um, you know, I hate her. I wish she'd never been born. And because I was doing some work myself and getting support outside, I was able to just silence the voice in my head that was going, you can't say that about her or any of those things. And instead just, right. yeah, I know, I understand. It's really, it's hard. Yeah. Hard to have your sister here, and then that's it, it's over. So, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it always comes back to us doing our work as well, doesn't it? So that we have capacity to be able to go into play and support our children with a play game that we think would, would really help them in that moment or whatever else it is. And we grow, we don't stop growing, you know, it's all the time. And believe me, when they're grown ups, it doesn't stop. No. <laughs> Um, you talk just briefly, we'll talk a bit more about play. Um, you talk about the need to give our children our focused attention and to have uninterrupted one-on-one -on -one time. That's something that we've done throughout the childhood. And I, I still do it with my, my daughter who's still home with us now. Um, and I, I love that. And lots of other games that are just so helpful. Like you say, these power reversal games where our children get so many opportunities um, to, to be the powerful one, to be the capable one, to be the strong one, to be the one in charge. And we get to be silly or, or less good or, or laughing or, you know, whatever. But it really does. You can see them just growing and, and having such an amazing experience each time we play those kind of games. Yes. Yes, definitely. Mm. 
Um, I think it would be really helpful to talk a bit before I'm aware of the time and I don't want to take up too much of your time, but talking about um, our ongoing work because this is such a core theme for the book. Um, uh-huh. And I wonder if you might be willing just to talk a bit more about how how we how how we can do some of that, how we can like enlighten ourselves about, I mean, you talk about bringing yourself to the here and now with your child is the best way to free yourself from the tyranny of your old records. Um, and yeah. about enlightening ourselves about the way our own mind deceives you so that you can reclaim yourself to free the flow of love towards your child and those sorts of things. Can you just talk a little bit about some of the ways that you support parents? The way, the main way that I do that is through inquiry, um, variation, or sometimes exactly the way Byron Katie does. So those who know Byron Katie, I have you write the thoughts down. So like what I spoke in the self formula in the beginning, that's like in the moment, you you don't have time to start writing down and do the whole thing. If you can, if it's not something that's imminent, in my own family, I used to go to the bathroom. I even symbolically says I'm doing the work and I flash the toilet, like I flash on my thoughts. Beautiful. But if you have the time to say, I can't answer your request now. You know, your teenager wants to do something that you're not sure or your four years old has some idea. And and you say, you know what? I need time to myself before I answer because if I just answer, I'll probably be angry and triggered and, you know. And the children learn over time that when you take that kind of time, you actually are a better parent. Mm -hmm. But they get a more peaceful, connecting, wonderful parent. Um, so that's that's one thing that you can do sometimes. But in the general work on yourself, which is what you're asking, is at the end of the day, at the end of the week, uh, or when you have a break and just earlier something happened and you exploded or you did the self formula, but you didn't fully resolve your thought that they shouldn't do that or they should do something else. Um, write it down. He should do this. He should listen to me. She should listen to me. He should go to bed when I tell them to go to bed. Um, And then do the full inquiry on it. First, asking whether it's true, as in what is reality. Hmm. In reality, they didn't go to bed. In reality, they didn't listen. And Can I understand? So I get to the compassion from there because he should listen to me. He didn't. So it's just not true. That's not reality. Mm -hmm. Truth is what really is. So I told him to, you know, stop drawing and going to sleep. Or I told him to stop playing and come to the table. He wasn't listening. Well, maybe I'm disrespectful. Maybe it was in the middle of something. Treat them like you would treat a revered adult guest. Would you tell them if they're in the middle of being on the computer or something, dinner time, oh, you're not responding, you know? Would you say that to an adult? If you don't say to an adult, don't say to a child, period. It's very, very simple. But this is side tripping. Sorry. (laughs) But it's it's some of the realizations people get to. So is it true he should listen to me? I look at reality. Did he listen? No, he didn't. 
so he shouldn't. Because should is me dictating. Mm. That's my mind. Reality is what should be. And when I listen to reality, I listen to it. He shouldn't listen to it. When I believe that he should listen, by which parents mean should obey, by the yes. way. Yes. It's the very deception. Yeah. <laughs> he may have listened, yeah. but he wants to keep drawing. And and he should des- he deserves to do that. Yeah. No matter what your story is, he needs to go to bed, he has to get up early in the morning. That's not his agenda right now in in respecting uh, who he is. So you notice that if you believe the thought he should listen to me, you're at war. You're opposing what's going on for your child. It's total opposition. So now what happens to your emotion when you believe he should listen to me and he doesn't? You become angry, agitated. How do you treat your child when you're angry and agitated and want your way or the highway? Is You start yelling at them. You mistreat them. Are you connected to them or disconnected? Completely disconnected. Yeah. You go to the next question. How would I be without this thought or if I didn't believe this nonsense? Ah, if I didn't have that thought, then I would realize that he shouldn't listen to me because he's too absorbed in his drawing and that I'm being disturbing. And then in the last part, you do the turnaround. So for those of you who don't know the, uh, the, the work of Byron Katie, you take your original phrase. In this case, we're working on he should listen to me. And we try to turn it upside down in different ways. If it's not true, then what is true? Well, he should not listen to me. Why? Because he's absorbed. He's very busy. Or he should not obey me. Maybe he's hearing me, but he's really focused. Then, you know, we spent their childhood teaching them not to be focused and just <laughs> keep interrupting them. And then we say when they need to learn to stay focused and do their homework or study or practice. It's like they're so focused, they barely hear you. They, they can really tune you out or just like ignore you, even if they do hear it. So all the wonderful things in the turnaround is another turnaround is putting it on yourself. He should listen to me. Hmm, no, he shouldn't. I should listen to him. As in pay attention that it's the wrong timing to interrupt him like this. Okay. And I can give lots and lots of examples because I work with it every day with all the stories children have. But that's that's one of the main ways. Then I teach parents also the same therapy games for adults as for children. And like when parents come here, when families come for the five days or two days or whatever amount family intensive retreat, we do variety of uh, healing games that I fit for the specific family, which are as healing for the adults as for the children. Of course. We all have one of the greatest diseases we all have is seeking approval. You know, we do, we mistreat our child in public because other people are looking at us, strangers, or we're worried at home about what mother-in-law should say, should do, or or sometimes our own parents. And I have an example of the the diaper story Mm -hmm. in in the book and some teenagers. Um, Anyway, so 
I think I'm over <laughs> responding. No, it's really helpful. It's it's really helpful. And it's about using the same processes for ourselves. So listening, making sure that we get listening for our feelings, making sure that we're aware of what our needs are and finding ways to meet them and, and all those other things too. Let me just add to that. Work on yourself, not just alone. So yes, and this is not advertisement just for me, find the person who would do whatever work you need to do with. Uh, but I do that with parents, so you yeah. can sign up for sessions. Uh, we need other people because we're stuck in our own stories. And the instructions to get out of the box are written on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. There's someone it's so helpful when I do the work with myself, you know, it's the mind that wants to fight against that process mm. is the mind running it. Another person is helped to see the mirror to really, to really do the work. So um, there are other approaches that I do with people. I give people all kinds of exercises to do at home, mm. sometimes to put sign for themselves on the reminders on the wall. Uh, we had for a while in our family, a uh, simple reminder called facts only because we go through all this interpretation. They want to hurt me. They're defiant. They're, you know, the fact when you deal with facts, it's peaceful. Mm. Then you respond to the fact the child is alone because the other children won't play with them. That's a fact. Mm. And I respond to the fact they want company. I offer my company. I ask them if they want to go home or if they're a friend, etc. So for a while we had facts only. That was probably the most famous one that we had for the longest time. But parents put all kinds of signs around, and there's a lot more. But you know, this is a, a little a taste, <laughs> a taste. Yeah. Well, that's so helpful. Thank you so much. Um, so just before we finish, because yeah, I'm aware of the time, I was wondering what is the, or is it possible to find, but one piece of advice that you would give to families that you you wish you'd known at the beginning of this whole process of, of you parenting your own children that you think is really helpful for people? I think think about the child as an adult that must stay rooted in himself. Yeah. So the idea of manipulating a child, turning them into a doctor, turning them into this, you know, making sure that they do this so they can have this, that's using the child. Your children, it's like, and I have it in the book, Khalil Gibran's poem. So it's a good poem for your question, for a summary. Your children are not your children. They're not. They come through you, not from you. And it's not up to you to make them into your image of what they should be or how happy they should be. It's very nice. We all want our children to be happy. But the best way is to keep them rooted in themselves and rooted in themselves <clears throat> means they listen to themselves, they make their own mistakes, and I'm not saying to let them fall in the water, <laughs> yeah. very clear. But when the child wants to, a baby or young children like to sleep with their parents. So parents said to me, 
well, how will it be independent if he doesn't learn to sleep by themselves? And it's, it's the other way around. His choice is to sleep with you. Honor his choice, that's independence. It's his independent choice where he sleeps, who he sleeps with. Mm. So that kind of total respect, total of honoring of if somebody is religious, God creation. So like, who are you to turn nature or God's creation or however you see it into a specimen of your experiment? So, and my, uh, one of the chapters in the book has, we water a flower, not if it blooms. We water the flower so it will bloom. So parenting is watering the flower, not plucking or opening the petals or deciding what color they would be or uh, when the leaves would come out, at what age they should be able to do this or that. It's really about total respect of creation. A world in every child is a world in creation. Think of them as an adult, a time bomb, right? A miniature, the adult they will be one day because they are already that inside of them. Mm. I love that. I love, and I love the sense of you're trusting, trusting our children to to be on their own unique journey, to be becoming their own unique selves that they are destined to be, and that we we don't have to interfere with that. We just have to love them and facilitate their growth. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. And we can't save them from our pain. No, no. That's the thing that people try to do. So they need to stay rooted in themselves, and they will be ahead able to be emotionally resilient mm. yeah. oh that's so lovely thank you so much I know that we're going to carry on and talk about something else that's going to go in a separate podcast now but um, for now I'll just finish this by saying I'm so grateful for your time and your wisdom and sharing and if anybody hasn't yet read raising um, raising our children raising ourselves I suggest that you you go out and buy it straight away <laughs> Um, it's a beautiful book. Are these your children on the cover, by the way? Because they're absolutely no. beautiful. <laughs> no, it's a picture that I bought. And the website is either my name, NaomiAldor.com, or AuthenticChild.com, or AuthenticParent.com. Not parenting, yeah. AuthenticParent.com. You can find uh, lots of videos and, and some audios, um, mostly for free, a few for sale how to sign up for a session, how to book yourself a family intensive retreat, um, and lots of articles. Some are very old, you know, some are more, the blog is a little more current, etc. So thank I'll, you. I'll put those links in, in the show description so that, that everybody can find that. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm -hmm.